We are in a series of messages right now on relationships, and we have learned that it's important because our life pretty much is dependent upon them. The way we feel about life depends on the health of our relationships. I mean, just think about it. When your relationships are good and healthy, there's joy and you feel good about life, but when relationships are falling apart, life stinks. Do I have a witness out there from anyone, right? Isn't that the way it is? We know that relationships are all around us, and God created us to connect with other people. In fact, God created us for community. He created us to know each other and to come close to each other and to be together and to do things together that matter. So what are the health or what is the health of your relationship or relationships? How are things going? There's a question that we have talked about every week from the very beginning of this series that we need to ask, and it's a personal question. It's this, would I want to have a relationship with me? I can't change another person. I can't make them be someone that I would want them to be. The only person that I have any ability to change is myself. So I need to think about, am I a person that other people would want to have a relationship with? And if I'm not, are there things in my life that I need to change to improve the relationships? So many times we spend uh, a lot of effort to try to change other people when it's just so frustrating because we can't do it. But we know that when we change ourselves, that we have the ability to bring influence in a relationship to lead other people to hopefully have a desire to change. If we want anybody else to change, we have to be willing to change ourselves, and we have to be willing to take a hard look at who we are to see what needs to change. There are people that take the blame for everything. It's easy for them. It's like, yeah, if there's something wrong, I'm the person who did it. And they're constantly like, I know I did this wrong. I know I did this wrong. There are other people who are the other end of the spectrum who are this. They never do anything wrong. Does anybody know anyone like that, my brothers and sisters, right? They never feel like they do anything wrong. And what we need to know and really kind of be somewhere in the middle is that sometimes we do things right and that sometimes we do things wrong. But if we're people who feel like we never fail, we will not succeed in our relationships. We're all works under construction. We're all people who are supposed to be getting better each day. There's a characteristic trait that is true of all healthy relationships. It's the characteristic of unity. And we've looked at the same verse every week during this series. So I want you to read it out loud with me once again today. It's found in Psalm 133, verse 1. Let's read it together. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. That's so true. But how life stinks when we don't, right? That things are not good and things are not pleasant when we're not unified. We need to be people who are at peace. Now, we've been learning these things by taking a look at the different stages that we go through in relationships. And I want to go through that again today and talk about these stages and to talk with you more about what I shared with you last week in a very specific stage. Let me remind you about how this works. It all starts with the godly stage. And the godly stage is characterized by unity, that we are at peace with each other. And each of us in the relationship are answering the same question. How can I help you? That's the question in a healthy relationship. 
I'm asking, how can I help you? You're asking, how can you help me? And we're sincere about it, right? And we're helping each other be the best we can be. That's a healthy relationship. But unfortunately, we start asking the wrong question. Instead of asking, how can I help you? We start asking, how can I help myself? And we become confused in the relationship. In fact, that's what the world is trying to do. That's what Satan is doing. He's influencing us to think about ourselves and not think about the other person. And the second we start doing that, that's when we start having issues and strain in a relationship. Why? It's because we misdirected our love. It's the next part of the relationship. Instead of me loving you, I love myself. I put myself first. My priorities get all mixed up, and because I'm putting myself before everyone else, things start breaking down. In fact, it leads to problems, which is the problematic part of the relationship. And the problematic part of the relationship is the broken relationship. It's broken. And it's broken because we're not working right. We're not doing the right things. We're not doing things to help other people. We're doing things to help ourselves. We're behaving selfishly in the relationship, and it's broken the relationship. And not only do we have selfish behaviors that are being performed, we also have unhealthy emotions that are the result of these behaviors. We become bitter, and we become angry. I mean, think about your relationships. If you're in a broken relationship right now, is there bitterness? Is there anger in the relationship? Usually there are some unhealthy emotional feelings that we have going on when we're in this state and we find ourselves in this stage. So what do we do about it? Well, we have to overcome the problem and there needs to be a resolution. We need to resolve the problem. And that's what I started talking with you about last week and that's what I want to continue talking with you about today. How is it that we resolve the problems of a relationship? How can this relationship be healthy again? Well, I want to share with you the scripture that I uh, read to you last week. We're going to look at it again today, and we're going to learn some new things from it as well. Paul wrote a letter to a church in Colossae, and obviously the people in this church at Colossae were having relationship issues just like we all have relationship issues no matter where we are. And this is what he wrote. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. In other words, this is how we're supposed to behave with each other. We're ought to be compassionate and kind to each other. We're to humble ourselves, put other people before ourselves. We're to be gentle uh, with others, treating each other the way we want to be treated, right? We need to be patient with each other. That's how we're supposed to be. But then he says this, Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. In other words, when you don't do these things and the relationship falls apart, this is what you need to do. In verse 14 it says, And over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. That's the character trait of a healthy relationship. Unity, right? Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and through psalms hymns and songs from the spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts and whatever you do whether in word or deed do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him 
We're to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's a really important statement because everything that Jesus did, he did because he loved other people, right? So everything that we do in a relationship, we're supposed to do because we love the other person, that we want the best for the other person. We want to help the other person. We're willing to give ourselves for the other person. But the problem is sometimes there are grievances. Sometimes we don't do it. Sometimes we become selfish. And instead of being compassionate and humble and patient and gentle and all of these things, we begin looking at ourselves rather than looking at other people. So what then? What do we do? How do we solve the problem? Well, last week we learned two very important parts of our solving the problem. One has to do with our bearing with one another. And In our bearing with each other, that's what the scripture said, it basically is teaching us this, that we need to understand each other, to understand who the person is in this relationship. I shared that with you last week. Just as a brief overview, we see it. It's already on your outline for you. Everything's filled in. It's all there. But this is what we learn. We have to understand each other. And there are some questions that we need to ask so that we make sure that we understand each other. What do we believe? This question, is it the source of our faith? What does this person believe? Do they believe that life is about helping others, or do they believe that life is about helping themselves? They believe this, and they're putting their trust in, this is the way I'm supposed to live to give me a joy in life. So which do they believe? Second question is this, what do we desire? It is the source of our passion. Desire and passion go together. It's about love, right? Passionately love someone. So do I love the other person or do I love myself the most? What's going on? And we can tell what the answer to this question is by simply noticing their behavior. Are these people who are trying to get things from me or from other people? Are these people who are trying to give in order to help other people? Am I a a getter or am I a giver? Third question was, what is our conviction? It is the source of our behavior. We learned that conviction has everything to do with how we behave. I have the conviction. I am convicted that this is what I'm supposed to do, and because I'm convicted this is what I'm supposed to do, I'm satisfied. I'm okay with how I live my life. So there's that conviction of satisfaction. I'm convicted about it. But then there's the opposite of it, which is the conviction of sorrow, which means this. I know that I'm supposed to live my life a certain way, and I'm not doing it, and I'm convicted over it. I feel convicted because I'm not living my life the right way, and I feel sorrow because of it. So instead of there being satisfaction, there's sorrow. I want you to hear this. No relationships change until there is sorrow. A person does not change until there is sorrow. If they're behaving in a selfish way, a hurtful way in a relationship, they're not going to change until they get to the place where they feel badly about how they've been treating other people. And until that moment, things will not change. So we need to understand this about people. What is this person that I'm in a relationship do they, they believe it's about helping themselves, or do they love themselves, do they, or other people, or are they convinced they're doing the right thing when they keep hurting other people? Who is this person? We have to know that in order for there to be a solution to the problem. The second part of it is this. It's what we have to do 
to overcome the grievance itself. And it's our role in the part that we play. Now, remember what I said at the very beginning. We can't change other people. We can't make people feel sorrowful for what they've done. We can't do it. All we can do is look at ourselves and look at our own behaviors. So what I need to do then is I need to figure out how it is that I can reconcile the relationship with this person. What is it that I need to do to reconcile? What do I need to change because of my bad behavior? What role did I play in this? And it's already on your outline sheet. It's the number two on your, on your, uh, on your lesson guide there that we learned that we have to reconcile. Three things have to happen. I have to care. For me to change, I have to be sorrowful. I have to care about how my behavior is affecting the life of someone else. Before I do anything else, that's where I have to be. So I have to get to that point myself. Once I care, then there must be confession that I have to confess to the other person. And this is what I confess. We learned it specifically last week. This is what I did. I'm confessing this is what I did. I'm confessing this is why I did it. We actually get honest with someone and say, this is why I did it. It's because I put myself before you because I love myself more than I loved you. That's why I did it. It was selfish. But then we also acknowledge to them what we know that we did to them. This is what I did. This is why I did it. I'm selfish. And this is what I know that it did to you. I know it hurt you. And I'm sorry that it hurt you. And I don't want to do that again. Which leads to the other part that has to happen for there to be reconciliation. There has to be confidence. The other person has to be confident that we're sincere about how we've about what, what we just said, that we're sincere, that we are going to change. And the only way people know that we're going to change is when our behavior proves that we're going to change. That's the only way people know we're serious about bringing unity and peace back into the relationship. All of those things are on us. I have to care about what I did I have to confess and get honest because I want to restore this relationship and I have to do what I have to do in my behavior to prove to this person that my life has changed and I'm doing what I'm doing so that I never do those bad things again. That's what, ha- that's what, that's what has to happen. But there's more. What else has to happen for there to be restoration? Well, there's a third part. In fact, in the scripture, it talked about this. It talked about forgiveness. And forgiveness, though, goes both ways. There's a forgiveness that we give when someone else does something wrong. There's a forgiveness that we give when we do something wrong. So we're going to talk about the forgiveness that we give when someone else does something wrong first. So on your outline sheet, this is new information. We must forgive others. In the scripture, it said in Colossians 3, 13, we just read it. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Jesus forgave us even though we don't deserve forgiveness. If you're excited about that, say amen. Oh, my soul, yes. That's how we're supposed to forgive. We're supposed to forgive people whether they they deserve the forgiveness or not, right? We, We forgive them because they come to the point where they know they did something wrong and they're willing to change. They they get that. They understand that. And we're willing to forgive them because they've realize that, and they know this about themselves. How else does God forgive us? Listen to what it says, and this is 
This isn't on your uh, outline sheet, but in Psalm 103, verse 12, some of y'all have heard this scripture before. It's one of my favorite. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Don't you love that scripture? When God forgives us, he wipes the slate clean. He forgets it and no longer holds that against us anymore. We're supposed to do the same thing. So if I forgive as God forgives, then I have to be willing to no longer hold people's behaviors against them anymore and to wipe the slate clean. I have to be willing to move on. But many times people aren't willing to do it. What's the problem? On your outline sheet, let's put in a couple of statements. The first is this. We must not allow the behavior of others to control us. Even though a person may have cared about what they did wrong, may have confessed what they did wrong, and may be doing things to try to fix their life, even though they may be doing that, we still may have a problem and not let go of what it is that they did against us. We continue to bring up their bad behavior. It's one of the ways in which we know that we're not forgiving. We want to remind them about how bad of people they are. And one of the reasons why we do this is because the effect that they have had on us. This is the core of a big issue in relationships many times. That we would find our value and how other people treat us. So... My life is valuable, of worth, it's meaningful. If you love me, if you're nice to me, if you're kind to me, if you do all these things to me, you're supposed to do. If not, because you treat me this way, I have no value whatsoever. So therefore, I allow your behavior to control how I feel about myself. Well, let me just say this to you. If you allow other people's behavior toward you to affect how you feel about yourself, you're in for a miserable life. Aren't you glad you came to church today? right? You're in for a miserable life. Because have you noticed this? People let us down. Have you noticed this? You let people down. Oh, my soul. I know there's a witness about that, right? We treat people poorly. And as long as we find our value in how people treat us, we will allow their behavior to control how we feel about ourselves, And those emotions begin to well up in us, and we tend to act out against other people because of it. In fact, that leads to the next statement. We must cease to feel resentment against others. Our problem is we've allowed what they've done to us to cause us to feel something about ourselves, and we resent them for the way in which they treat us because of their behavior. We resent them. We're in pain. They caused us pain. So what do we want to do if they cause us pain? We want to cause them pain. That's what happens for us. We want to lash out and cause an issue with those people because of what they've done to us. So how in the world can we stop doing this? Because we'll never be restored if we have this unforgiving spirit toward other people, even though they're working on it. We still might be unforgiving to them. We're still bringing it up. We're still holding it over their head. How do we stop it? I want to give you some practical ways to do it. The first thing is this. We have to acknowledge our bitterness. We have to acknowledge the fact that we are bitter people. Bitterness proves that we are unforgiving people. If we stay in bitterness, 
Bitterness comes from an unforgiving spirit. I mean, that's just, that's just the root of where it comes from. So how do I deal with that? What am I supposed to, to do about this? I remember when we talked about the problematic relationship stage. It's not only selfish behaviors. I just talked about this a minute ago, actually. But there are other emotions that we begin to feel. We begin to feel angry and we begin to feel bitter toward the other person in a relationship because of their selfishness, right? That's who we are. I have to overcome that emotional part. For there to be restoration, I have to deal with my emotions. So I have to acknowledge, again, that I'm bitter. Why am I bitter? Because of the pain that you caused me. We will never change until we change the story. Where the story is no longer about what people have done to us. It's about why they have done what they've done to us. When it's about what they've done to us... We're angry and bitter because of the pain they caused us. I'm finding my value from you. You're hurting me. I want to inflict pain back. It's become about me. But when I change the story and start becoming concerned about why they would inflict pain on me, everything changes. What did you say in the scripture? Y'all, this is so awesome. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion. The very first thing that Paul mentioned about this healthy relationship is that we're compassionate toward each other. In other words, that we care about others. In other words, that we would care why they do what they do. And you know what? It's about pain. It's about their personal pain. It's about something that's going on in them that would lead them to act out in a selfish and ungodly manner. And our whole desire is supposed to be to help them, right? Not about me. It's to help them. So I have to start thinking in those terms. I'm acknowledging I'm bitter. I'm bitter because I am thinking of this in the wrong way. I'm thinking about how they're affecting me instead of what's happening inside of them to cause them to miss what God wants them to be. And I need to be concerned. The longer Satan can encourage us, influence us to be bitter, he wins. He just wins. So we have to own up to it. So what do we do with it? We've got to learn to let it go. On your sheet, fill it in. We have to let go. How in the world, then, do we let go? I want to give you some practical ways in which we do that. Just, just thinking about it logically, about what I need to do to make sure that this no longer controls me. The first thing is to admit it. On your sheet, fill that in. I have to admit it. It's the acknowledgement part of it. I admit that I have been hurt. But in my admitting that I've been hurt. I want you to listen to this. I'm also admitting I'm being hurt not because I'm to blame. Did you hear that? I've been hurt, but I've been hurt not because I'm to blame. I'm not the reason why I've been hurt. The reason why I've been hurt is because someone else has something going on in them that is leading them to be hurtful. So I have to admit what the situation is. Second thing is this. I have to count. I've got to count the cost. If I am unwilling to forgive, 
what's the cost of that? I mean, think about uh, the really simple illustration of that because we see it all the time is a married couple and someone has adultery and cheats on a spouse. That spouse may, let's just assume the best, that spouse has a change of heart. They realize what they did. They care that they hurt their, their spouse. They confess what they did. This is what I did. This is why I did it. This is what I know it did to you. They're doing things to make sure that they never would do it again, to try to prove so that we can have confidence in them, to do all that stuff. All right, they're doing everything they need to do. What's going to happen if I'm not willing to forgive that person? What's the cost? Divorce is the cost. A broken relationship is the cost. No restoration is the cost. If we're not willing to forgive the relationship, no matter what it is, I'm not just talking about a married couple, I'm talking about any relationship. If we're not willing to forgive, we are saying immediately, this relationship is over. This is a problem, however, because God called us to peace. Do y'all remember that part of the scripture? He called us to peace. Aren't you glad that God didn't give up on us when we sinned and said, forget you to us? Instead, he was willing to to the point of sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be saved. That's how much he loved us. I need to count the cost. If I keep this up, if I do this, this relationship will never be restored and I will never experience what God wants me to experience in this. Here's the third thing. I admit it, I count it, and I release. I release them from the burden of what they've done against me. This is awesome too. How do you know? This is so sweet to me. Are you ready? The ungodly emotions are bitterness and anger. Listen, the godly emotions are mercy and grace. That's what it means to release someone else. I don't give you the punishment that you deserve. That's what mercy is. Instead, I'll serve you and help you even though you don't deserve it. That's grace. So I'm not bitter and angry. I'm a merciful and gracious person in this relationship. When you're merciful and you're gracious, you know you've let it go. But as long as you've got bitterness and anger, it has a hold of you. It all makes sense, doesn't it? All right, so that's the forgiveness toward other people. What about ourselves? What if we're the ones who do something wrong? Well, there's a fourth thing that we have to do to bring a resolution to the relationship. We must forgive ourselves. I have to be willing to forgive myself for what I've done wrong. This is huge because I struggle with this. I want to remind you again of what Jesus or, or what Paul said in the scripture in Colossians 3.13. Remember, forgive as the Lord forgave you. We're to forgive like he forgave. Remember what I read to you in Psalm 103, uh, verse 12. Remember, as, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. He's wiped the slate clean. He's forgotten about these things. That's what he's done. I have to be willing to do that for myself. But unfortunately... Many times that's not, that's not what happens. Sorrow also goes along with our forgiving ourselves. There's a godly sorrow, and the godly sorrow says this, I did something wrong, I'm sorry that I did it, 
and my feeling of sorrow that I did it leads me to change to make sure that I don't do it again. Here's the ungodly sorrow. It's the sorrow that I did it and I wallow in self-pity. I just feel sorry for myself. That's me. I'm just being honest with you. Many times, that's me. When I get depressed and some of the things that happen, a lot of times it's because of my own, I did something I shouldn't have done, and I just wallow in it. I just can't forgive myself for what I've done. Yet God has already forgiven me for the things that, that I've done wrong. But I find myself stuck in this, and as long as I find myself in this situation, I cannot be in a healthy relationship with other people. I have to be willing to forgive myself. There are two options. First option, let's write it down. We choose to learn from our failures and become useful. There was an apostle, one of the disciples, his name was Peter. Jesus had three guys that he was closest to, Peter, James, and John. When Jesus met Peter, he changed his name to be Peter, which means upon this rock I will build my church. It means rock. Upon this rock, I will build my church. So he saw all of this potential in Peter to really radically bring change into the world, to be an influential person in this way. It's also this same Peter that Jesus said before he was arrested that you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And Peter said to him, there's no way I'm going to do that. There's no way I would deny you. But guess what he did? Three times Three separate occasions, people came to him saying, aren't you the one who was with Jesus? And all three times, he denied knowing Jesus. He sinned. It became about protecting himself, about helping himself. And when he did it, and he heard that rooster crow, it was a reminder to him about what Jesus has said. The scripture uh, put it this way. We see his response Matthew 26, then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken before the rooster crows. You will disown me three times. He went outside and he wept bitterly. He was sorrowful. He was sorrowful for what he had done. He realized the weight of what he had done by turning his back on Jesus, that he wouldn't stand up for him or try to protect him or do anything. It was all about himself. There he was. But you know what? He didn't wallow in it. And the reason why I know he didn't wallow in it is because after this moment, God used Peter to continue to spread the message of Jesus around the world. Here's the other, y'all, this is so sweet about Peter. I don't know if you realize this about Peter or not. Peter, we have no record of him ever denying Jesus again. In fact, when people were trying to get him to deny Jesus, he refused to do it. Peter and John were arrested one time, taken before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrins wanted them to shut up talking about Jesus. They said, stop talking about him. And, and Peter said to them, you can say whatever you want to, but for, for us, we can't help but speak about what we've seen and heard. He was arrested. They're telling him, if you don't stop it. You can't stop me from saying this. Get this about Peter. It, according to Christian tradition, it's not in the Bible about how he died, but according to Christian tradition, Peter was put to death as a martyr being crucified upside down on the cross because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified right side up as Jesus was crucified. 
to his death, he would not any longer deny the fact that he knew Jesus and was willing to give his life for it. I would say he learned from his problem. Wouldn't you say that? He didn't wallow in it. It changed him. His failure led him to be stronger. But there's another response. It's the next one. It's the last thing we'll learn. We choose to feel sorry for ourselves and become useless. There was Peter, and then there was Judas. Judas was the guy who sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver to pocket some cash. They come, and they arrest Jesus. After Judas realizes what he's done, that he sold Jesus out, and he realizes what's going to happen to Jesus. We know this about him, that he had a great sense of remorse. In fact, the Bible tells us that he was seized with remorse, that he went to the officials who gave them the, him the money, tried to give the money back to him, and told them, I have sinned by doing this. And they were like, dude, that's your problem. Tim paraphrase. That's basically what they said. Dude, that's your problem. He is seized with remorse. That's what the scripture says. He's seized. He's overcome with remorse. So what does he do? He's sorrowful. But does he change? No. He wallows in his sorrow. And he kills himself. Because he couldn't get over what he had done that was wrong. As long as Satan can keep us wallowing in our failures, he'll keep us from doing what we need to do to get better and to restore the broken relationships that have happened because of us. But instead, we just keep wallowing around and feeling badly and sorrowful for ourselves because we can't forgive ourselves. Y'all, I know what it's like. I am a personal example of Judas of a person who's been that way before. Thank God he keeps working on me when I get in these moments and I have to start processing in my mind, why am I feeling the way that I'm feeling? You know you did something wrong. Acknowledge the fact that you did it. Admit that you did it. Learn from it and don't do it again. Then you can fix the relationship that you had that you broke because of what you did. In other words, you can live up to your calling to bring peace. You can be a better person. I don't know what the nature of your relationships are. I, I, I don't know. But what I do know is there will never, ever be any resolution until you get to the point to overcome your bitterness and anger and forgive other people and to overcome your regret and remorse and to forgive yourself so that you can start reaching out and correcting the broken relationships that you have. So are you a Peter or are you a Judas? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes right now. God wants us to be at peace with others. We have to take on our role of bringing that peace, to look at ourselves, to fix the problems that we have where we've failed. And I want to encourage you right now, 
to just open your mind, stop blaming everybody else for everything that's going on, and take an honest look at yourself and see what is it that I need to change, what is it that I need to do in order for, for there to be restoration? What do I need to do? If you're a person that is just continually bitter and continually angry and will not allow someone else to move past their failures. You're being used by, really, Satan. You're, you're, you're living this, this life that's keeping people from experiencing the life that they need to be to be better themselves. We're called to help them. Not to be bitter and angry toward them, but to be gracious and merciful toward them. And it might be that God's touching your heart today to say, I need to be more merciful. I need to be more gracious toward people. It might be that you've done some really bad things in relationships and it's not restored partly because you can't forgive yourself for what you've done. To start doing what you need to do to bring correction God sent Jesus to this earth to serve the worst of us, to die on the cross for all of our sins, so that if we accept what Jesus did for us by taking our sin upon himself, if we accept that he did that for us, he forgives us of our sins. He did that for us because he loves us. We need that in our lives. We need to be people who are like Jesus for other people. To be willing to forgive them and to sacrifice and to do what's necessary to help their heart change, to help them to know that they are loved no matter who they are. It might be today that you're not a Christian, that you don't have a relationship with God. Listen, this is where it all starts. We find our value in knowing God, that He created us, that He created us to be who we are, that he wants a relationship with us. Our value is not in how people treat us or what people do to us. It's about us and him. And what you need is a relationship with him today. At the end of our service today, back in the back, to my right, to your left, there's a single door with a glass window. We're going to have someone back there in just a moment. We'd love to talk to you about this, to help you become a Christian today, to help you receive what Jesus did for you, to forgive you of your sins. We would love to do that today. If you want to be baptized or join the church, you can go to that location as well. It's awesome. But we would love for you to have this relationship with God. If you're a believer today, I want to encourage you to pray and make the commitment to forgive as Jesus forgave. To no longer hold people's failures against them. And to be a person that God wants you to be as a person who knows that you can grow and be different even in your own failures. So as I pray, I ask you to do the same. God, thank you so much for teaching us today. God, I thank you, God, that you love us and care for us. I thank you, God, that you desire the best for us. I thank you, God, that you called us to peace and I thank you, God, for a major light being shone down upon us today to help us see who we are, 
Am I the bitter, angry person? Am I that person? Or am I the gracious and merciful person? Am I a Peter or am I a Judas? God, help us to be the people that you desire so that we can lead people to you and to know your love as we show it to them. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen.